guys know who I am? Like you were here last year? God bless you and you came back. They probably didn't tell you I was going to be here this morning. So for the rest of you and everybody on Facebook, if you're still there, first impressions are everything, aren't they? You can't reel them back in once they're out. So I'm going to start with my best foot forward and let my wife come up and share something. Thanks, sweetie. Okay, so before I tell you a little bit about what's been going on with us, um, let me tell you a little bit about this book. Pastor Dave has said that we can offer it to you. So my husband worked on this book for about three years, mostly on his own, and um, I didn't have many glimpses into his creative process um, until he asked for my help in editing. And then when I read through it, I, I found myself weeping as the Lord spoke to my heart through his words. Somehow my husband managed to communicate the tender heart of Papa God towards me in this book. And I'm not the only one who thinks it's good. We have a friend in Colorado who bought 20 copies while we were there saying, people need to know this stuff. <laughs> and last week he called us back and asked for another 30 copies. So, you know, we sell them here for $10 so that we can take them back to Africa with us and give them away for next to nothing that way. Um, yeah, we can help the people there too. So I'll be at the back table after church if anyone is interested. Um, you know, when I was young and in love, I told this guy that I'd be like Ruth to his Naomi. I'd go wherever he went and his people would be my people. Little did I know what I was getting myself into. I ended up in Texas, in New York City, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then in Moravian Falls with three little ones in tow. Fast forward almost 20 years and I ended up in Kenya. And I can hardly believe we're about to celebrate our nine year anniversary of moving there. A lot can happen in less than nine years. Your middle son can have a rough breakup with his fiance and you can wish you were there for him in person instead of being halfway across the globe. Then you can rejoice when he meets someone actually more suitable for him and all his quirks. And you could wish you could get to know her in person instead of getting to know her from halfway across the globe. In less than nine years, your parents can age at a phenomenal rate, seemingly accelerated by the infrequency of your visits. And you can spend many hours on the phone making difficult decisions regarding their care. You might even get mad at your brother for not noticing your parents need help when you are living 7,000 miles away and he's living 16 miles away. In less than nine years, your oldest son and his sweetheart can give you two beautiful grandsons and you can feel torn about not living nearby and wonder about how much longer you want to stay so far away, especially when you visit and they look at you and say, I love you so much, Shosho. Oh, and I love Pow Pow too. In less than nine years, your daughter can garner three degrees and start on her fourth, and you won't be able to be there to celebrate all of them because furloughs don't always coincide. But you can rejoice that the seeds of loving to learn that you put in her as a homeschool mom are bearing so much fruit even when you're so far away. In less than nine years, you can have the opportunity to help reach amazing goals in your organization 
Together with your Kenyan staff, you'll provide clean, safe water at over 900 locations, making your total sources almost 1,100, serving hundreds of villages and schools with clean water. In less than nine years, you can have the opportunity to work at girls' camps all over Kenya, sharing the knowledge and the love of Jesus with them so they can go on to change their world, equipped and prepared a little more, even when someday you might be far away. In less than nine years, you can welcome guests, friends, and family from all over the world to visit you. You can share your home and cook for them, and their lives can be changed even as the Kenyans' lives are changed that they touch halfway across the world. And in less than nine years, you can fall in love with a country and a people that because of your husband's call to help them and your agreement to follow him wherever he goes have become your own. Let me introduce you to my husband, Pat Selvi, a man who in almost nine years has never stopped seeking the face of the God who sent us to Kenya and never stopped reminding me to do the same. Oh, and by the way, I'm Grace. Sometimes it's hard to compose yourself when the Lord shows up. It's not that the Lord shows up. That's the wrong way to say it, but we like to say it that way. He's always here. He's always here. Can I say that again? He's always. Put your hand on your chest. I hate it when preachers do this, but I'm going to do it to you anyway. Lord, I know you're here. Yeah. One of my most common prayers is, God, how is it that you live inside of me and I'm not even aware of it most of the time? Isn't that something? But the Holy Spirit is not a consolation prize. You can take your hand down. He's not a consolation prize. It's not second, like, babysitting until Jesus comes back. It's better than if Jesus walked through that room in physical form. And I can prove that with scripture. When I was a kid, all I could think of was how wonderful it would have been to have been a disciple. Back in the day, David, you could just walk up to the Lord and can I have a minute? Of course. What's on your mind? That thing you said about the bread and the blood and okay let's talk about that for a minute that's how I imagined it would have been and then you see ears growing and put back on and just all the things and Jesus said it's better that I go away and I'm not present to you in physical form it's better what's coming right so if we don't know that as a reality, we should be seeking it, saying this is, this is part of my inheritance and promise. This is most of the things we are content with waiting. I don't know why, but we, we're waiting until heaven before we have victory over sin, even though Romans tells us we have it now. All these things, we're waiting until we get to heaven, right? So that we can really love. And yet, we're called to love now. And I don't want to wait anymore to experience a greater presence of the Lord than as if he was standing right here saying, Pat, come and follow me. And I get to go from town to town with him 
and I'm with him every moment of the day except when he goes away for private prayer and then he comes back and I'm with him again. We have something better than that. We should go for it. Okay, that was my 10 minutes message for my <laughs> precursor. I, you know, uh, I don't know how long I've known you, David, but I remember you coming to a conference somewhere in the early 90s. I think you had been with Rick before and then you went to Alabama or something, but then Rick had you somewhere and I remember you doing a workshop. I didn't know anybody. My first exposure with any of this, I just picked David White. Sounds like a good name, let's go. And I don't remember what you spoke about, but I remember you from that day. I don't think you had any salt and pepper going on, but, <laughs> but it was good and I loved you ever since then. And, and David came to me about, uh, man, it was probably close to 20 years ago. I'm bad with timing and said, Pat, I think you should be knighted. Do you remember that? And I had asked the Lord about that because I really wanted it. And I realized, you know, the Lord has a way of showing you your own heart, right? And it was so, I don't know if my flesh was wrapped up in it. I just, as, it, as I prayed about it, I became convicted that, boy, I want this for all the wrong reasons. And so I decided I'm never going to talk about this again. I'm not going to do this because guys like me don't need to be knighted because they just get too proud of themselves. It's too, it's too important to them. And so about the time I got to that place, David came and asked me, I don't know if you remember, you must have felt like that ungrateful guy because I said, I don't know, brother, I think I need to pray about it. <laughs> but I went away and I asked the Lord and the Lord said, you'll be knighted and you'll drill wells in Africa. And I was like, and I went home and told my wife. She goes, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. I don't even know anybody that does that. I know James Robinson used to do it, but somehow I'm going to be knighted and dig wells in Africa. So I immediately said yes, and David took me up to Canada. They, they were, that's the closest place they were. And, and I got dubbed, man. Rise, Chevalier. Remember that? And, and then right around that same time, Within 30 or 45 days of that, Matt Peterson, who I hadn't seen in years, but I went to Bible college with him, came up with this idea for hydrating humanity. He said, the people in Africa are walking on top of the water every day and they don't know how to get it out of the ground, but it's there and we know how. So that whole thing came together and I traveled back and forth about 50 times in 10 or 12 years, and then my wife agreed to follow me, and we moved there nine years ago. And so we've done uh, close to 1,100 wells, and that's really cool. That's really cool. And you guys share in that because you've partnered with us and you've taken up offerings and you've prayed for us, so thank you. I want to honor you for that and honor David for being part of that seed in the very beginning. Um, we have 22 employees, local men and women from Kenya and Tanzania. They do all the work. They won't let me do anything. No say they grab the shovel from me. This is not for you, this is for us. And the good news about that is that if the area ever becomes unstable, and because of a lot of the gospel work that's going on now, I, I kind of expect it to maybe become unstable because the enemy's gonna come and challenge that. Now, 
we won't miss a beat if we get driven out of the country. We were cut off from our people for nine months because of COVID. We were on one side of Kenya, they were on the other side, and there was a blockade and you couldn't, couldn't pass. And that year, they still did over 100 wells that year, just by phone and email and bank drafts and stuff like that. So we just thank the Lord for that. Our mantra is local people solving local problems. Our, our, three, our three words that go under our name is water, hygiene, and hope. So the second thing we do is we teach hygiene. And when you, when you don't teach hygiene, people don't know how to keep the water clean. They don't, get, they don't understand. And our country was in the same shape not that long ago. Some of you may know that Thomas Jefferson died of dysentery diarrhea, waterborne disease. But did you know, even fast forward 80 years, James Polk, President James Polk died of waterborne disease? Because we didn't know. We haven't known for that long. And now we know first, so it's our job to help share this, this knowledge and this information. So Grace developed this great hygiene curriculum and we have that in hun literally hundreds of schools, five different countries. and. Uh, that's one of the most impactful things that we do. I wonder if I could get some water. Thank you. Boy, that's a, that sounds like something, doesn't it? Thank you. The third thing in our, in our motto is hope. And one of the maybe one of the most fruitful things we do at the end of the day when we get to heaven and we see how everything really came together. It may not be the water and it may not be the hygiene. It may be the Jesus film because we have that in all the local languages. There's, is it over 60? Over 60 tribal tongues in Kenya alone. And we have the seven or eight that are in our region and when we show them in a the mother tongue, it makes all the difference in the world. And so can I just tell you a couple quick stories? And then I'm going to preach. Okay. And you told me not to go more than three hours, right? Okay. Just kidding. So um, we like to show the film in schools. So we come and show the hygiene. We do hygiene training for a week. And then on Friday, we're going to show them a movie. They call it a cinema. And most of these people have never seen one ever. Imagine that. Never seen a movie. And so you get a room, a darkened room, you fill it full of kids, and you're going to have trouble, right? Somewhere in the room. So, so Tagari is our number one guy. And when he's showing the Jesus film, he kind of stands there in the front, in the corner, like this. So everybody knows they're being watched. And like it's happened before, this has happened to him twice. He heard a disruption in the back, and so he's thinking, okay, who's cutting up? And he goes back there, and kids are crying. They're all crying in this group. He's looking for the bully. There's no bully. They're all crying. What's going on? They go, don't you see what's happening? They're killing him. We are sophisticated story listeners. We know that when we see Superman getting stomped on by the Hulk or whatever, however that works, we know that somehow he's going to come back in the end. 
You're not going to end the movie right there because he's Superman, right? We know there's going to be a good ending. There's going to be something. These kids don't know that. They've never seen a movie before. They have no expectation. All they know is for an hour they've been watching this film where the nicest, kindest, most wonderful man that ever lived who's been doing all this wonderful stuff is now being killed and being slaughtered. And they can't handle it. And I think about when I was a kid, I don't think I ever knew that Jesus died, that I didn't also know he rose from the dead. I can't remember it being a one-two punch where there's a time period in between. But there they are watching, and you know that point in a movie when there's maybe one of the heroes that does get killed in a war movie? Like the spear goes all the way through his chest and he's there going, remember, and he's giving his speech. And you know he's going to die. He has to die. It's beyond that point. And in the movie, there's that point where you know Jesus is going to die. And that's where they lose it. And that's happened to him a couple of times. But I don't know why I'm saying that this morning. Except that the rest of the world is different than this. And some things we've been given first, so we'll share them. So we'll walk in them. We've been blessed, not so we can glorify God by showing our blessing. We've been blessed so that we can become a blessing. Okay, you see how that works? That's a whole sermon in and of itself. I'll avoid it because of time. But so, so be easy on the disciples when you think, how could they be so stupid? He told them five times. Because it says it was hidden from them. Even though he told them, he told them for later, it was hidden from them. They didn't know he's coming back. Two of the 12 were on the road to Emmaus. They gave up. They left Jerusalem. Discouraged, totally discouraged. And then what did the Lord do? He met them right there, right? And what does it say? He preached concerning himself, beginning with the law and the prophets. Was that not the greatest sermon ever preached? about Jesus. Here's Jesus preached by Jesus (laughs) using all of the scripture. Wow. And only two people heard it. Now, why do I say that? It's easy to forget he's already here. He doesn't need to rend the heavens and come down like the prophets of the Old Testament said. He already did that. He did rend the heavens and come down. And he's here. And Jesus tells us, go into your inner room and close the door. Just you. That's one person. You don't even need a two. People say, oh, I got to get somebody to agree with me. It's good, but you don't have to. And he said, if you want to know where the father is, Jesus tells us he's in secret. Go to your inner room, close the door. And pray to your father in secret who sees in secret. So people, where's God? I'll tell you where he's at. He's in the secret place watching for you to come to him in secret. And he'll reward you there and after you leave that closet. Isn't that good? So if Emmaus, if the greatest sermon can happen with two people and not even written down for anyone else to hear... I want to encourage you that great things can happen in your closet, just you and the Lord, 
Don't discount that. We had a Maasai elder one time. They had these little, have you ever seen these guys carry around these little clubs, these little sticks? They call them king sticks. And if you're a chief or a ruler, you just kind of carry one around and that lets people know you're in charge. And we're showing it and they're beating Jesus and he runs up and he starts hitting the screen with his stick. He just couldn't contain himself. And uh, we had a generator run out of fuel one time. We're supposed to fill it before we start. The generator has a long cord out there so you don't hear it. And in the middle of the movie, an hour in, runs out of fuel. We say, hold on guys, we'll be right back. While they're out there filling it up, they send a, a little group of spokespeople out to ask a humble request. They said, can we, can we start it at the beginning after you fuel that up instead of just picking it up where you left off? That's how much it was impacting them. So that's, that's in a nutshell, Hydrating Humanity. And um, can I do a website? URL, hydratinghumanity.org. So if any of you guys want to follow up, there's a few videos there. But... I want to talk today about the king. We were singing about him earlier. And we don't know much about kings because we don't have a kingdom. We have a republic. Totally different. There's only a few kingdoms left in the earth and they don't actually operate as kingdoms. Did any of you guys see Prince Charles become King Charles? That throne was an established throne from a long time ago and and all that's there, I think, just to remind us because he doesn't actually rule. He's part of a republic. He just counsels. And I think we think that our king is like Charles. He's there. He's on the throne. But all he can do is make a strong suggestion. When I start talking about the commandments of Christ, which he's the one who mentioned that word over and over and over in the book of John. The ones who have my commandments and keep them, they are the ones who love me. Are you saying? No, he's saying. But all King Charles can do is strongly suggest and advise the government. The government is a republic. We have a republic here. We're citizens, and citizenship comes with rights and privileges. Kingdoms have subjects. No rights, no privileges. You have them, but they can just be taken away like that, even if you didn't do anything wrong. The king can just decide. He can give you titles and deeds and servants and riches and land, and the very next day he can take them all away from you because they all belong to him. That's the way a true kingdom works. A republic is different. You have laws, and those laws ultimately at the end are decided by the people. And if we don't like the laws, we can change them. We might get some advice from the king, but at the end of the day, we're going to live the way we want to, and we kind of do that. You guys don't hate me, do you? <laughs> okay. So John the Baptist, when he introduced the kingdom, he started with the word repent. Remember that? And then Jesus went and faced Satan down, and he came right out of that with the same exact message, repent. 
And then he tells you why. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. And the reason we have to start with repent is we're not living in that kingdom. We're not living according to the rules of that kingdom. And we have to change. And when we stop repenting, we identify more and more with the republic. We identify more and more with our lifestyle, with the great American dream. And these are my rights. And that's that constitution, by golly. And we'll get more upset about the constitution being changed than we will about the word of God not being followed in our own lives. And we can absolutely do something about that. Okay, now do you hate me? <laughs> but the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus said, well, we're, you know, I think Rick used to tell us the word kingdom is a compound word for kingdom and domain. It, wherever the king is, that's his domain. So if Jesus is here with you, it's the kingdom. And he's offering it to everyone. He's the one who bought the field for the treasure that was in the field. Can you see that? He's the one. He died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's what John tells us. So he could have that treasure. So Jesus said, when the kingdom is preached, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, not the gospel of salvation, the gospel of the kingdom, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to every nation, then the end will come. We're focusing on every nation when maybe we should be focusing on the message. And so this is how it works. The government, the media, the business world, <clears throat> the education, all of those mountains, they all are rising up now going, your message is too strong, it's too exclusive. It's filled with hate their words. And so we go, okay, let's see if we can make this message palatable for them. And we start changing it. We start softening it. That's what we're doing, right? I'm not saying you agree with that, but man, we're in danger and we're, we're losing perspective of the kingdom because the kingdom doesn't move you know, we all agree stealing is wrong, right? So we've made laws that you can't steal, but yet people still steal. That's the disconnect. We make our own laws and then we break them. Everybody agrees that stealing is wrong. Even the thief. You steal from that thief and you'll find out he thinks stealing is wrong. <laughs> Same thing with the guy cheating on his wife. He's thinking, well, if she doesn't find out, it won't hurt her. But if she cheats on him, you watch what happens to that little philosophy of his. Yep. We're ambassadors, and ambassadors are sent out by a king. And if that ambassador changes that message even a little bit, it's off with his head. Bring him here and kill him before me. Because you can't do that. We're ambassadors. And we need to not be afraid that this is the king. He doesn't change, so we have to change. And we need to not be afraid that it's going to make people hate him. Because you know what? I think hell is going to be full of people that hate God. And I think they're going to see the choice. Hell 
or be with God and they're going to go, no, I don't want to be with God. I can't imagine that, but that's where people are. They really are more there than we imagine. I don't think hell's going to have anyone there who didn't choose to be there at some level at some time. So we need to not worry that, oh, you're going to turn them off, brother. Don't talk like that. You're going to really turn them off. Well, they're already turned off. And I'm not saying we be hateful because we have, to, we have to come in love. And we have to come in a way that even the sinner, even the loser, even the downcast are attracted to us in our message because of the love. So you really need to, well, just some thoughts. The angel Gabriel told Mary, right in the beginning, and I always overlook this, your son will rule from the throne of David. I, I never thought that was very important. Like, why did she, you know, that's just old world talk. But I think it was very significant for heaven to introduce it that way from such a great angel. And then the wise man came asking, um, where is the one born king of the Jews? Isn't that something? And then when Pilate questioned Jesus about the same thing, Jesus said, it's for this purpose that I was born. And in America, we don't understand that because we have elections and we elect officials and it's for a short period of time. And then if they don't do good, we don't reelect them. And hopefully no one else does. It's the best system we have right now for trying to find a good leader. I don't think we're finding the best leaders that way by far. But it's the best thing we have. But I don't like elections because they're so divisive, aren't they? They're just divisive and I don't like that. And they're risky because what if you elect the wrong person? What if the wrong person does a better job at marketing and they get elected? What if they cheat on the vote count? There's just all these things, and then you get a terrible person, but at least that's only for a few years. With a king, though, a king is born. King Charles was born. He waited a long time, but you know why I had to wait for a long time? Because Mary lived, uh, Elizabeth lived almost forever. <laughs> she was queen in the place of king until she died. That's the way it works. So if you have a good king, that's a good thing. But if you have a bad king, watch out. Because the king is not only king as long as he wants to be king, but he gets to appoint his heir. And if he's bad, he's probably going to appoint somebody else that's bad. But thank God our king is good. <laughs> he's good. <laughs> and he's long-suffering and he's kind and he's everything that's in 1 Corinthians 13. There's no way he's going to tell you to love more than he loves. There's no way he's keeping a record of a suffered wrong when he tells you not to. Jesus is somehow on the cross and they knew what they were doing to him. They were beating him to death. They knew exactly what they were doing and Jesus goes, no, Father, they don't know. If they did, they wouldn't because they didn't know who he was. And when someone's unkind to you, they, don't, they would never do that if they knew how precious you are to Father. They would never do it. They really, really, really don't know what they're doing. And you can release them just like Jesus did. I had somebody steal 
for all practical purposes, like seven grand from me one time. And man, I wrestled with that and wrestled, and I couldn't handle the way I felt about him. I kept telling God, and I know the Lord kept telling me, peace comes with forgiveness. So I finally got to a place where I could forgive them. And I forgave him fully, and, and I was free. But then you know that prayer that David prayed, search my heart and see if there's any wicked thing? Yeah, so I prayed that prayer. <laughs> so the Lord was like, oh, you know that thing? Would you be willing to pray that I would forgive them? Because in the back of my mind, I said, one day the Lord's going to set this straight. So I forgive them because one day the Lord will set, maybe the enemy robbed me, I'll get it back, whatever. But one day the Lord's going to set this straight. So there was my feel good feeling. That's not real forgiveness. It's, all, it's the pathway. It's a good start. But that was still in there. So the Lord said, would you pray for me to forgive them so this never comes up again? It's just gone off of them. It's amazing. We know the blood forgives, right? But do we know it cleanses? If I'm out working on that drill rig all day, I come home, my wife's like, don't even come in the house because of all the stuff. I got to take off the boots, shake off the pants, get a brush and do all that stuff. And... But once I get a shower and wash off, everything is gone. All that dirt is gone, right? That's the picture I want to give you of Jesus' blood. It not only forgives you of your sin, it's gone. And I always used to go, well, it's, I'm forgiven, but I'm still the guy who did that. And that sounds right, but it's not. Because I'm a new creature. And if, that, if, that, if that's gone, it's gone. Now, there was a guy that lived back in that day who did that, but this guy no longer has this on me. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. I know some of you are going, I got to think about that. And, and I want you to, and I want you to get in the word and ask the Lord, because when that becomes real to you, you'll realize the power you have. In John 22, Jesus told Mary was going to go tell my brothers, right? Remember that? He had just told them, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And then he's resurrected. And then he says, go tell my brothers that I'm going to send to my father and their father. Something changed. They became brothers with Jesus, not begotten of God, but sons of God nonetheless. And something changed because Jesus showed up. And, and what did he tell them? It's a weird thing. We don't know what to do with it, this side of Catholicism. He said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I don't know what to do with that. Unless maybe I actually have the power to forgive someone's sin. And, and they're forgiven. Like it really, really means something. And I think that's what the Lord was taking me through, not just counting on the fact that he's gracious and he would forgive that person for cheating me out of that seven grand. But I had the power like to somehow hold them in bondage or not. Because people say when you don't forgive, you're only hurting yourself. But it sounds like Jesus is saying, no, you're hurting the other person too. And that was so important to him 
forgive and they will be forgiven. And if you don't forgive, they won't. And then, like the next thing he did after it is, I, I think it just shows how important they both are. It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The empowering to do that. So we all love to be forgiven, right? And in our kingdom, not the republic, the republic, you don't have to forgive. We can make up our own rules and go, well, if they will, if they will say they're sorry and they'll own what they did, I'll let it go. You guys ever, that's kind of my personality. If you own it, I'll let it go. Man, I'm glad God doesn't work that way. Even if he just said, if you, if you ask to be forgiven, I'll forgive it. Otherwise, I won't. Imagine that. Because there's too many sins I've committed. I don't even, I can't remember them all. I've, I was in a hard-hearted state, so they're not written down. I've not confessed them. But I know he's faithful and just anyway. They're, the thing in 1 John is just to tell us how the process is working in God's mind. It's not a set of rules that you have to follow to be forgiven. So we love to be forgiven, and do we like to be forgiven that way? Well, if you'll own it, we like to be forgiven all the way for all of it, right? So why don't we forgive that way sometimes? Not you guys. I think we're forgiven so that we become forgiveness. Right? Can you see that? We're blessed so we become blessing. That's the way the kingdom works. That's not the way a republic works where we get to make our own rules. And the thing about a republic is if we don't like, if we don't, if we kind of like doing something wrong, we just won't make a law against it. Like everybody agrees lying is wrong. Don't you guys all agree lying is wrong? Why have we never made a law against lying? We have one against stealing. It's not illegal because we all want to, we all want to keep having that freedom to lie a little bit. I'm all over the place this morning. My wife is like, yes, you are. She's my number one intercessor. As long as I can see her back there smiling at me, it's all good. You know, kings by nature... Um, they expand their territories. All kings do that. And the way they do that is they go to the other territory and they impose their will on that territory and change it until it becomes like the territory that they have and, and that's now they have dominion and it's part of their kingdom and that's just by nature kings do that. Our king, however, he already owned everything. So when he wanted a new territory, he had to create one. There was no place to expand to. So he created the heavens and the earth. And then he stated his intention in the first book of the Bible. He created male and female, both in his image. The animals, the plants, the fish, the birds. He spoke them into existence and said, come forth and reproduce after your, after your own kind. But remember when he got to man, he stopped. 
and changed everything. He stopped speaking. And he went and stood on the earth that he created and he reached down and he gathered up soil and he created, he formed man, I think with his own hands. And then he still didn't speak and say, come forth and reproduce after your own kind. He stopped talking like that. He went up to this form and he, ruach is the word, it means spirit. It also means breath. It also means wind. And it also means voice. It's God's life. That's not how he brought the horses and the sheep and the donkeys into existence. God's life went into man. And when it did, woman was inside of man. Don't try to picture that. It just is. Because he brought her out of him. after my own kind. And then it says, so he created male and female both in his image. And then he said, multiply and fill the earth with that image. God's plan from the beginning was to fill the earth with the image of God. Evolution is so offensive. Don't get me started on that. Please don't become an ambassador who weakens their message and says, well, maybe God used evolution. Do you see why? Yes. How could we be made in his image if, we're, if we came from a monkey that came from a squirrel that came from a whatever? And that's the message that makes people angry. And I think next they're going to come to homeschools and they're going to say, if you teach evolution, we're going to get into that. We have a problem with that. Teaching what? Sorry. Yeah, if you teach against creation, against evolution, and you teach creation, did I say the opposite of that? Sorry. You guys are paying attention more than I am. But God created the earth for himself. First Colossians is real clear. He created it. It was by him, Jesus, through him, Jesus, for him, Jesus. We get this idea that we invite Jesus into our lives. We don't have a life to invite him into. We think we do, we don't. It doesn't belong to us. But we live in this republic where we made all these rules and we think they're all true. And it's just, it's a big deception, it's a big lie. This life is not ours. And we'll find out when we get to the end and the Lord says, this is where, this is where you're going now. I planted you here and now I'm moving you to there. But he invites us into his world. And I can't find any scripture where you pray and invite Jesus to come live in your heart. I can't find that one. But I can find a scripture that says when you obey his commands, the father will love you and the father and the son will come and make their home inside of you. Look it up, John 14. The place where Jesus, where the father and son come and live inside of you, it's it's the context is you obeying his, and we hate that word, commandments, but there's so much freedom in that. Hmm. So God's plan was male and female in the earth reproducing after God's image. We're all here on Sunday. Everybody who's not in a room like this 
is probably not going to see God unless they see him in us. Unless someone in a room like this on Sunday morning goes out and behaves to them in the image of God, right? And so who is God? He's a promise keeper. He keeps his word. Everything we have hope in is based on God's word, isn't it? If God ever lied one time, what would happen? The whole thing would fall apart. Yeah, I'm not going there. Okay. So, I just had a thought, but it would take me 10 minutes. I've only got two and a half hours left. But we have a republic instead of a kingdom. So the law has the final say instead of the king having the final say. It's a democracy, not a monarchy. Citizens versus subjects. People ruling versus the king ruling. But we do have this thing called a code of ethics. We don't call it that, but every culture has that. Things they've decided, this is either right or wrong. Right? And Western democratic republics in the earth are starting to become more alike and it's allowing us to have enough common um, culture to be able to speak to each other. And David, you're cashing in on that big time with those five or six nations in Africa. You know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, you probably wouldn't have had enough in common with them to be able to come together like that. So the Lord's doing something. But our kingdom has a code of ethics that's not movable. You know, we, I was talking before, we all agree you shouldn't steal, but people still do steal. And we say, well, okay. And we still lie. But we just have to know that as we grow soft towards things and we are more accepting towards things, it doesn't mean that the Father heart of God is that way and that the Lord is changing and we need to be careful for that. Repent for the kingdom is here. Um, Do you guys like mercy? Yeah. Yeah? Anybody ever been pulled over by the police? You just want mercy, right? And when you get it, how does it make you feel? Has anybody been pulled over by the cops ever in their life and not gotten a ticket and thought they were going to get a ticket? How would it feel? You are happy. And you're like, I'm never going to do that again <laughs> for at least the next five miles. <laughs> Imagine that power that that cop has. I wonder if he ever thinks of it that way. Did you know you have the power to make someone happy? To set them free, to bring joy to their life? You were given mercy so you would become mercy, not so that you would learn how to receive mercy. We're given it so we would become that. And imagine if we were just all incredibly merciful instead of standing so hard for our rights, never yielding, going, well, if I give them just a little bit, you know, and we're afraid of something that's not even really there. It's just people. 
And Jesus said, they're worth dying for. No greater love hath anyone than they do what I did, lay their life down. So we can make someone so happy just by giving them mercy. We, we, in America, we're receiving most of the blessings in the earth. It's unbelievable if you travel around. We get more for our tax money. I mean, I complain about, I don't like paying taxes, but I do like it because I like what I get from it. You can't go to another country in the world and show me they're getting more for their tax dollars. Some are, some are getting more, but they're paying much more in taxes. Some countries are paying 61%, and there's no deductions. It's just 61%. I believe that's Sweden. Imagine that. But we have so many blessings. The American dream is working too well. But remember the guy that said, if I can just fill these barns, I'll be happy. When I was younger, I thought, if I can just get enough, for just some of the furniture my parents have, you know, and you start out at Goodwill and then you, you move up to uh, whatever and you, you kind of, now it's all new. But then you're a little older, you have a little more money. Nothing wrong with your couch, but did you see that leather sofa at Costco? <laughs> that thing's awesome. It's just the way it works. We're never happy. And Jesus told about the guy that said, if I can just get these barns filled, I'll be good. And then he, if I can just tear these down and build bigger ones and that's the only one I can remember Jesus calling a fool. We receive blessings so that we'll learn how to become blessing. And when we played that song, I don't know if you guys have the lyrics for that song, but it said, I, I have no gift fitting for a king. You know, everyone that goes and visits a king brings a gift. You never that's the culture of kingdoms. You never, ever, ever go to a king without a gift. And the thing is, is the king already owns, he already has everything. So you would think, no, he's not. No, you give him the most valuable gift you can afford. You might even go into hawk. Because what you're doing is you're honoring your relationship to this person. That's the way kingdoms work. And, and kings even when they visit each other, would give gifts that just put them in hawk for years because they're trying to honor this alliance. And maybe there's a little twisted thinking in there too, political, but for the most part, people would leave gifts and they, they knew that the king wouldn't even find out often what the gift was until after they made the request and left. So it wasn't a bribery thing. It was just a, and we've kind of lost that. And and man, I'm asking the Lord to show me different ways that I can honor him as my king. Because I don't think many people are doing that in the earth. Okay, I'm gonna try to land this thing. What do you think? You with me? We'll land together. Seat backs upright. Tray tables in there. How's that go? Upright position. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, a couple verses, John 15, 9 and 10. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's incredible. You mean to tell me that Jesus loves me 
the same as the Father loves him? Like that doesn't even seem possible. That seems wildly exaggerated, if not, if not wrong and borderline crazy. You're talking about the Father, the Father, and his love for his only begotten Son. And Jesus says, that's the love I love you with. But since Jesus said it, it has to be true. So how does God love? Because the way we love is, well, I really, really love that guy. That guy, I love him, but I don't like him. You ever heard that? I love him, but I don't. That's just baloney. You can't do that. But I always thought that's how love was. It has levels. God doesn't love with levels. He just loves. He doesn't know any other way. Imagine that. Just let that soak in for about three months. He loves perfectly every time he loves. So you can't use a quantitative value on he loves big or he loves, no, he lo or he loves complete. He loves perfectly. And perfect love casts out fear. And fear is what causes conflict. If you look every time, it's fear. At the end of the day, it's fear. And there is no fear in love. And that's how he loves us, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And immediately the disciples are probably thinking, how do you do that? I want that. He tells them, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Jesus never called us to do anything he wouldn't do. But even more so, I don't think he ever asked us to do anything he hasn't already done. Because he says, you will, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Here it is, just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. Isn't that beautiful? Romans 8, 28, he works everything together for good for, to those who love him. But do you know what the next verse says? It's even better. To all of us who are called according to his purpose, to be what? Conformed into the image of his son. So I'm done. I'll turn it off. But I like, to, I like to challenge my friends in Africa and I tell them, because they, they, they just expect me to say wild stuff. I mean, this big head of white hair shows up five minutes before I do. Because almost no one there has white hair. They don't get old till they're 90, and most of them don't make it to 90. And I say, you know, you can't kill this man. I'm never going to die. You couldn't kill me if you tried. And I know what they're thinking. I think if we got a machete, we're not going to, but we could, I think we could kill you. But I've already been crucified with Christ. Paul says, if you've been baptized, and I don't know why he said baptized, but look, look it up and study it. You've been crucified with Christ as well. It's appointed unto every man to die once. We've already died, right? And it says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So I've already died and gone to heaven. 
And I think when I'm in heaven one day, I'll go, this is where I've always been. I recognize it now, but I, I couldn't see it. But this is my home. My spirit has been connected here. Now you might, this heart may stop beating in this tent. This, this is like a garment will fall to the ground and then whoever's around me at the time is gonna have to deal with that, right? I think I mentioned this last year when I was here. It's my favorite story. Whoever's around is gonna have to deal with it, but I'm not gonna be dead. I'm gonna change my location or maybe change my dimension, but I won't be dead. Please don't think of me as dead. Please don't think of Christine Potter as dead, okay? Anybody you lost that you loved that walked with the Lord? They're more alive now than they ever were, probably. But the beautiful thing is when I go through that experience, when you go through that experience, I believe we're gonna stand, and if anybody, if you guys like to play at the end and pray together, the, I'd invite the musicians to come up, but I believe that I'm gonna stand before the Lord I can't talk sometimes. And I'm going to say, I'm just like you. <laughs> Finally. And he's going to say, you were always like me from the day you were born again. I called it forth. The rest of it was just the old part of you dying, learning how to die. We're new creation, creations now and we're waiting for that and it's so offensive to the kingdom to wait because it's here now for everyone that wants it. The kingdom is within you. He always said it was near you, but you know who he said it's within you too? This will blow you away. When Jesus pointed and said, even within you, remember he added that one time he added, even within you, he was talking to the Pharisees. He was pleading with them. I don't think he was angry. I think he had tears in his eyes saying the kingdom's here now, guys, what you've been believing for and crying out for is here already. It's even inside of you if you'll just yield to it. They were his biggest enemies. And the way we prove we're sons and daughters of God is by the way we treat our enemies, right? That's also, I'm just, those are all scriptures, don't hate me. <laughs> but Lord, I just ask for you to cause the reality of our coming King to be in our lives so when we walk out this door and we wake up tomorrow morning We know you and we walk with you and we can show other people and we can communicate you. And Lord, we cry out for our nation, for every believer here to be renewed by you as their king. 